As we prepare to close out uh, 2011, I think it could almost be appropriate if we took a moment and reflected on all that you and your family has encountered over the course of this last year. For many of us in this sanctuary this morning, 2011 has been an epic year. A year worth remembering, a year worth celebrating, and a year that in some way, shape, or form we hope to repeat. But then there's those of you in the sanctuary this morning that 2011 has been the complete opposite. Faced with uncertainty, challenge, struggle, pain, loss, and maybe disappointment. But when I was preparing this morning, uh, I thought, you know, regardless of the ups and downs of 2011, I am all but confident that at some point in this past year, we all at times needed to anchor ourselves to someone stronger than ourselves. Times when we needed a strong rope to bind us to the rock of safety. This is true also for the upcoming year. I am no prophet. I am no fortune teller. But I do know that we will face uncertainty in this new year as well. And we must be tied to the anchor that holds. One of the things that I've learned in my lifetime is that if we aren't properly anchored, then there is a tendency for all of us to drift when the storms blow in our life. And if we aren't tied or connected well enough by this strong threefold cord, then when the going gets too tough, well, then sometimes we decide to turn, tell, and run. Yet our scripture verse this morning talks specifically of a threefold spiritual rope. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, and now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. When these three components, meaning faith, hope, and love, are utilized and exercised together, they enable us to weather any storm that arises in our life. When we put faith and hope and love together, all hell may break loose, but we are tied spiritually to an anchor that will never fail us. Can I get an amen? So this morning, a very simple message, yet timely and needed. Uh, Myself and Pastor Jeff and Pastor Allen, we will share the pulpit responsibilities this morning and talk to you about these three key components. Faith, hope, and love. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for this morning, this wonderful Christmas morning. We thank you for faith and we thank you for hope and we thank you that you loved us enough, God, to send us your only begotten son. Lord, we know that we're ending this year in 2011 and 2012 is just around the corner. But Lord, I also believe that you can do more in this last week of this year than we could do in all of our inabilities combined. So we don't discount what miracles are yet to be completed. Be with us this morning. 
Open our hearts and our minds and our spiritual ears to receive what you would have for each of us today. In your wonderful and precious holy name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I have the opportunity to talk to you this morning about faith. And I I wanted to ask this rhetorical question here. But how important is the word faith in the Bible? How important is the word faith in our Christian walk? See, faith is where the promises and work of God are made real to his redeemed. And the Bible is very clear about the importance of your faith and my faith. Let me just preach to you from the word of God for just a minute. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says that we are saved by faith. Can I get an amen? Amen. Romans 1, 17, we live by faith. Romans 4, we receive righteousness by faith. Romans 5, 1 and 2, we are justified in Christ by faith and we have access to God's grace by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 2, we stand firm in our belief by faith. Galatians 3, we receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. 1 Timothy 1, we do God's work by faith. Galatians 5, we wait patiently for the return of the Lord by our faith. Faith is not only important to the Christian, faith is vital to the life of a Christian. Because the Word of God tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must have faith. So what is faith? Well, let's define it. I found in Webster's Dictionary this definition. According to the Webster's Dictionary, faith is an unquestioning belief. That does not require proof or evidence. Well, it made me think for just a moment. uh, Although Webster's Dictionary says that we don't need any proof or we don't need any evidence to validate our faith. As Christians, we do have evidence of our faith. Can I get an amen? We have the Bible. Somebody say amen better than that. The Bible. The infallible word of God. Compromised of 66 incredible books written by over 40 authors written in multiple languages over a span of 1500 years containing prophecy and moral and spiritual truth. You better believe that we have evidence of our faith in God's word. We've got evidence, evidence in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We have evidence through the confidence in his words and the evidence of God's truth in your life and in mine. We've got evidence. Now, in the Bible, the nearest definition that I could find uh, about faith happens to be in Hebrews chapter 11, the very first verse. The Bible defines faith as this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hoped for. And certain of what we do not see. The great St. Augustine put it this way, and I liked his interpretation of faith. Faith is to believe what you cannot see. And the reward of your faith is to one day see what you've been believing. Can I get an amen? Amen. So, now that we have a better understanding of how faith is defined, how can we get more faith? I know there have been times in my life where I've needed an increase of faith. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The Lord spoke this to my heart this morning. But if you need more faith, get more Bible. 
often times in my life where I feel like my faith tank is running low, all I need to do is pick up the Word of God and instantly my faith is increased. So basically, if you're low on faith, get more Word. I was preparing this and I wanted to show, you know, some of my smarts. Just finished this uh, semester in school with a 3.84 GPA. No, but no big deal. It's no, no, no big deal. Okay, it's a big deal. But I couldn't get past the thought of my boy. My son, Lakeland. You know, if I'm not careful, I will break down in tears talking about the greatest joy that I've ever experienced through Lakeland being born. Uh, this is the second Christmas that we've got to spend with Lakeland as part of our family, and we are better for him. I know that many of you with children, uh, you know exactly what I mean, until they throw a tantrum, and then that's a different sermon for a different day. But these past two years of, of being a father and Kimberly and I being a parent has taught me more about faith than probably my whole life as a Christian. Uh, watching Lakeland interact as my son, he has this unwavering faith in his daddy. Uh, it's a tall order uh, for me. A lot of pressure because, in all honesty, I, I never want to let my boy down. But his faith in me and in his mother is absolutely unbelievable. In one month, almost exactly, Lakeland will turn two years old. He is the most brilliant two-year-old child that I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, the other day, he counted to 20 all by himself in Italian. No, I'm just kidding. It's unbelievable how smart this child is. But Lakeland, uh, when he's hurt, he will run to his daddy be because he'll know that I'll make sure that he's okay. When Lakeland is uh, scared, he'll run to his daddy because he knows that I'll protect him. Uh, when Lakeland is hungry, well, then he usually runs to mommy because she's a better cook. But he knows that we'll feed him and provide for him. Anybody listening to me? Lakeland's faith in me as his father and Lakeland as his mother is innocent and simple. His faith in us is not complicated and inconsistent. He knows that we will meet every need that he has. And we do our best to do that. Lakeland has now come up with this game as probably most of your kids did when they were younger but uh lakeland no matter where he's standing if he's elevated at all he will count to three and take this incredible leap of faith you, you have to be careful because uh whether you're watching or not he's jumping on three uh, any parents with me you know you know what i'm talking about and so Lakeland, if it's on the changing table or, you know, when Papa comes over, he allows him to play on the coffee table because Lakeland gets whatever he wants. But he will count to three and then he takes this amazing leap of faith. I've never dropped him. Do you know why I've never dropped him? Because as he's counting, somebody hear me, all of my focus and all of my attention is on making sure that my boy lands safely in the arms of his daddy. 
His faith is simple and his faith is innocent. He's not scared at all when he takes this leap of faith because he knows that I will catch him when he falls. Thank you, Jesus. And then I came across this passage of scripture in Mark chapter 10. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. I don't know. I feel like sometimes we overcomplicate faith. We challenge our faith. And if not careful, careful, we'll talk ourselves out of what we know we should always believe in. And then we put a lot of blame on the enemy when really we just didn't have simple childlike faith to trust in our heavenly father. The Bible tells us in Psalm 118, verse number 8, thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding me of this. But the Word of God says that it is better to put our trust, meaning faith in God, than our hope and confidence than any man. Sometimes we just overcomplicate our faith. When I was 19, I got saved September 12th of 1999. Not long after, I, I preached in 18 local schools in Hillsborough County High School and then had my first opportunity to preach behind a pulpit. A nervous, scared uh, not a lot of wisdom. I don't know if I still have any wisdom, but I remember preparing a message on faith. And I remember that the night before that I preached at that small 35 member Pentecostal holiness church. Hello. The Holy Spirit gave me a, a revelation to faith at 19, a very simple acronym for the word faith. And I hope that Although this word the Lord gave to me many years ago, that it's a a good reminder for each and every one of us this morning. Faith. F-A-I-T-H. For all is truly His. For all is truly His. I, I thought of these things. Your problems, they're His. He says, cast all your cares on me. Your fears, well, they're his. Uh, They tell us that there are over 365 different fear not phrases in the Bible. That's one for every day of this new year coming up. Your fears, they're, they're his. Your marriage, let me remind you that what God has put together will let man not separate. Can I get an amen? Your job, for all is truly His. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Your children, they're His. The Bible tells us, before I formed them in the womb, I knew them. Before they were born, I consecrated them. I appointed them as prophets to the nation. What about your future? For I know the plans. I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and to give you a future. My challenge to you this morning on faith is that perhaps we need to have more faith like that of a child. It is my task to bring to you a word of hope in 10 minutes. So I hope I can do that. Amen. If I was to ask Noah Webster 
to define hope for us this morning. He would say it is to cherish a desire with great anticipation or to desire something with an expectation of obtaining that desire. And I believe if I was to ask all of you this morning, many of us would agree that Christmas is one of those moments of great expectations, especially as a child. Amen. As a child on Christmas Eve, we were sleepless with anticipation, just like all of our kids were last night. And on Christmas morning, we were filled with great expectation as well, eagerly awaiting to see if Santa Claus was going to come through for us once again, anxious to see if our wish list would be met or if we would be met with a lump of coal instead. Webster's definition of hope is usually in reference to expectations of earthly things, of fleshly things and temporal things, not necessarily bad things, but earthly things, things without a guarantee. We say things like, I hope no one notices, but they notice. We say things like, I hope I get the job only to find the job went to someone else. I hope I have enough money only to reach in our pocket and come up short. I hope my team wins, but sadly we suffer defeat. I hope I get what I want, but unfortunately, as we all well know in this world, we don't always get what we want. When it comes to earthly hope, often we are met with great disappointment because this hope, earthly hope, the hope that I was just speaking of is based upon the work of man. It's based upon the ability of man or the affluence of man or the wisdom of man or the charitableness of man. Earthly hope is defined by man and it depends solely on man. But Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that there is a hope that does not disappoint. Amen? It is a hope that is developed by God, designed by God, defined by God, and depends on God. It's a hope that God Himself has placed within us through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Bible says. It is a hope that we can cling to and count on this morning and every other day that comes. The hope that Paul was speaking of looks past today and holds fast to tomorrow. It's a hope that holds on to what it currently cannot see. The reality is there is a hope that always overcomes. There is a hope that always endures. There is a hope that holds on when everything else around us says, let go and give up. But like the old song says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I know a lot of people that put their hope in earthly things, put their hope in temporal things, put their hope in things that will one day pass. I know a lot of people who put their hope in man. They put their hope in Washington, or they put their hope on Wall Street, or they put their hope on Main Street. But how many of you know those things will always fail? And if you're not aware of it, they've already failed. But thank God, Jesus never fails. Amen? Amen. I want you to know that Jesus is our one true hope this morning. He alone is the hope that helps us hold on. 
according to the word of God, when everything else lets us down, when every other promise is broken, when everything else fails and ceases, there are three things which will remain forever. Faith, hope, and love. And heavenly hope does not disappoint us, Paul says. It will not let us down because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. The truth is, faith is the key that opens up the promises of God into our life. Faith is the key that looses the promises of God into our life, but hope is the tool by which we hold on to them. Let me give you an example. By faith, Noah, when he was warned of things to come, picked up a hammer, the Bible tells us, and he started to build an ark. But it was hope that held on to that hammer for 100 years. When everyone else laughed at him, when everyone else mocked him, when no one else believed the word of God, Noah held on to hope. Noah held on to his hammer for 100 years until the last peg was put into place. Because it's what divine hope does. It, it holds on when everyone else lets go. By faith, Abraham believed God would provide for him a son, even at his and Sarah's ripe old age. But it was hope that clung to that promise for 25 long years. Again, because it's what hope does. It holds on when everything else lets go. When the wise men set out from the east, faith believed the star to be a sign from God. But hope is what followed it all the way to Bethlehem. Faith went the first mile, but hope went 899 more. Faith went the first week, but hope went all the way. Took three years for them to get to finally see the newborn king. Faith believed that prophecy was the word of God, but hope saw the word made flesh. Faith believed Jesus was the Son of God, but hope held the Son of God in its hands. Because faith believes the promises of God, but hope holds on to them and will not let go. Hope holds on to the promise of healing even when the doctor says, I can't do anything more. Hope holds on to the promise of provision even when we find our cupboard bare. Hope holds on to the promise of protection even when the odds are stacked against us and we're encompassed by a host of enemies. Hope holds on to the promise of peace even in the midst of our most terrible day. Hope holds on to the promise, church, of God. It's what hope does. Some things we have faith to believe God for, God brings about right away. And many of us have experienced those promises. But other promises are for the future just like it was with Abraham. They are for later. They're for another time. They're for a, another day. And this is where divine hope steps in. Because divine hope has its heart and its eyes set towards tomorrow. Hope has the power to look past the trouble of today into a better tomorrow. Just like Jesus did, who for the joyous hope set before him endured the cross and put up with the shame. So that when we have to bear our own cross, 
When we have to go through trials and tribulations, when we have to experience pain and suffering as well, we would not grow weary and give up either, but that we would rather have hope instead. Hope holds on to tomorrow. Because today we see in a mirror dimly. Today we only know Him in part, and today we only see Him in part, but thank God, one day we shall see Him face to face. One day we shall see Him in His fullness, church. And hope holds on until that tomorrow comes. Amen? When our hope is set on the living God, it gives legs to our faith. It puts the swing in our hammer. It keeps the song in our heart. It endures the test in our testimony. And like the Energizer Bunny, it keeps on going and going and going. Amen? Divine hope is the substance of the very thing we have faith for. I know that without faith it's impossible to please God. But with all of my heart, I believe without hope we cannot see God. Because without divine hope, we will not endure to the end. Without divine hope, we'll throw in the towel and we'll give up and we'll go the other way. And we will not hold on without hope. I know that in this life, inside the pretty shiny packages that we call earthly hope, we can still often find nothing but heartache and disappointment at the bottom of the box. And some of you may be facing that kind of disappointment today, even though it's Christmas. Earthly hope has let you down. Your wishes haven't come true, and your Christmas stocking is still empty. But I want to remind you this Christmas morning that 2,000 years ago in the city of David, heavenly hope was born. It was wrapped up in swaddling clothes, and it was laid in a manger. And it was given the name Wonderful and Counselor. It was given the name Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I'm not sure what difficulties you might be facing this morning. I'm not sure what burden you might bear. I'm not sure what heartache might be hanging around your neck or what, how many times life has disappointed you. But as we gather together this morning, I want to encourage you that 2,000 years ago unto us a child was born. And unto us a son was given, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is our blessed hope this morning. He is the one that we can hold on to, and he is the one that will not disappoint us. Because when all else fails, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. So may God fill your hearts with hope this Christmas morning. As we celebrate Jesus together. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas and God bless you. The word for my assignment this morning is the word love. Faith, hope, and love. And so I'd like to use this story that I'd like to share with you to bring presence. Acknowledgement to this word love. It's only this morning that I read this story for the first time. I was in pursuit of something else and came across what I thought would be timely on this Christmas day, even more timely than what I had previously planned. The story is about a young ordinary boy who was named Frank Wilson. 
It was Christmas as it is today. Christmas, but 13-year-old Frank was not happy. It was true. He had received all the presents he wanted. But he was sad because this was his first Christmas without his brother Steve, who earlier that year had been killed by a reckless driver. So that night, he said goodbye to his relatives and he explained to his parents that he was leaving a little early to see a friend. And that would be his scout leader, the friend that he would go to see. His scout leader was someone who understood him and knew him well. And, and so Frank thought perhaps that maybe wishing his scout leader Christmas cheer could bring some joy to his heart also. So he put on his new plaid coat, his favorite gift that he got that evening for Christmas. And he placed the other presents that he received on his new sled and headed out. As he walked through the flats, through the poor neighborhood next to his own, the flats, he glimpsed an especially shabby room with limp, empty stockings hang over a fireplace. A woman was seated nearby. Frank suddenly remembered his scoutmaster's creed that said something like this, Do a good deed each day for others. The empty stockings reminded him of the way that he and his brother had always hung their stockings side by side and the joy that they had when they woke up the next morning and found their stockings filled. So here he thought to himself was a way to do a good deed for the day, finding a way to put one's faith in God to work for others. So before the impulse passed, he knocked on the door. Yes. The sad woman asked when she saw him at the door. Seeing a sled full of gifts and assuming that he was making a collection, she said to Frank, I have no food or gifts to give to you. I have nothing for my own children. That's not why I'm here, Frank said. He said to her, please choose whatever presents you would like for your children from my sled. She said, God bless you. She was amazed, but grateful. So she proceeded to select some candies, a game, a toy airplane, and a puzzle. When she took his scout flashlight, he almost protested, but he let her take it as well. Finally, the stockings were full. She asked him, won't you tell me your name? He said, just call me the Christmas Scout. Somehow he understood that his sorrow wasn't the only sorrow in the world that Christmas day. And he finally realized that giving was indeed more beautiful than receiving. So before he left the flats, the poor neighborhood next to his, he gave away all the rest of his gifts even his favorite gift, the plaid jacket that was now on his back, that was gone also because he gave it to a shivering boy. When he got home, his father asked him, Where are your presents, son? I gave them away, he answered in a small voice. But Frank, how could you be so impulsive, his mother asked. 
How will we explain to the relatives who spent so much time and gave so much love shopping for you? His father was firm. His father said, you made your choice, Frank. There will be no more presents for you this Christmas. We cannot afford any more. With his brother gone and his family disappointed in him, Frank suddenly felt dreadfully alone. He had not expected reward for his generosity, but he also didn't expect what he received from the response of his parents. He thought of his brother once more, and in thinking of him, he sobbed himself to sleep that night. The next morning, he came downstairs to find his parents listening to Christmas music on the radio. Then, the announcer spoke. The announcer said, Merry Christmas, everyone. And the announcer proceeded to say, The nicest Christmas story we have this morning comes from the flats. A crippled boy down there in the flats had a new sled this morning left at his house by an anonymous teenage boy. The announcer proceeded to say, Another youngster had a fine plaid jacket and several families report that their children were made happy last night by gifts from a teenage lad who simply called himself the Christmas Scout. No one could identify him, the announcer said, but the children of the flats claim that the Christmas Scout was a representative of old St. Nicholas himself. Frank's father leaped from his chair and he held Frank tightly to his chest. Frank's mother was smiling through her joyful, joyful tears. Why didn't you tell us, son? We didn't understand. We're so proud of you. Then the Christmas carol came over the airwaves that followed the announcement from the, from the uh, person telling the story. Christmas song with the words, O morning stars together, proclaim thy holy birth, and praises sing to God, God the King, and peace to men on earth. The story is that an ordinary boy discovered that... that one can have joy and the joy of Christmas with no gifts under the tree at all. For, for the joy of Christmas is not just about the gifts we give and receive or what we purchase from the store. It's not about the parties that we attend, though they are nice. It's not about the bonus you, do, you might receive, and though that's nice. It's about the gift of God's Son who the Bible said would risk the very wrath of his father. Because God's wrath was placed on Jesus at the cross where Jesus bore all our sins and all of our infirmities. And even God, the son Jesus, risked the fact that his father would turn away his head. But for a few moments while Jesus suffered and died for the sins of everybody who lived while he lived and everybody who would come after. After him. Somebody say amen. amen. And so that's why this word love keeps coming back to us. Because it is the greatest gift of all. And the most popular of all Bible memory verses is that verse that talks about John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave. And as the two pastors who preceded me and the song that we sing and the songs that we'll sing throughout the next year, we sing about this, this wonderful, amazing thing called the love of God. Love so amazing. 
I, I, I tell you, and I, I know that it's Christmas Day, so I don't want to just hold you unnecessarily. But, but I, I give you just one more brief story. And the story is about a wealthy man who, along with his devoted son, shared a passion for collecting art, paintings, etc., and this wealthy man and his son, they, they, they accumulated priceless works of art by, by artists as Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, and many other well-known artists. Their pictures and paintings were on the walls of this family's estate. But the day came, according to the story, when a war engulfed the nation and the young man left to serve his country. Sadly, only a few short weeks afterward, his widowed father received a telegram that his beloved son had been killed while carrying a fellow soldier to the medic. Years passed, but the father struggled to move on. Finally, one Christmas morning, a knock came at the door of the old man's home. And as he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. The soldier introduced himself to the old man and he said to him, I was the friend of your son. I was the one he was rescuing when he died. And I came to bring you this gift. Of course, it was the gift of the package he held in his hand. The, the old man unwrapped the package and the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of his son. Though crude, crudely drawn and crafted, the painting captured his son's looks and personality. The father was overjoyed. It wasn't too long after that the old man died. His artwork was to be auctioned off. The day arrived and the art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. But the first piece to be auctioned was no Picasso, no Monet, no Van Gogh, no. It was the Marine's picture of his son, a painting that had literally brought joy back into the father's heart. The auctioneer stood before all those who came to bid on what would seem priceless collections. The auctioneer asked for the opening bid. The room was silent. Who will open the bid with $100? Bidding now on the painting of his son. But no one bid. Complaints began to be heard about starting the auction with such a subpar piece. But the auctioneer replied, this one must sell first. Now who will take the son? Finally, a simple man who knew the family stood up. And he said, I knew the family. I loved the boy. So I'd like to have his painting. I'll bid $100. The auctioneer said, I have a bid for $100. Will anyone go higher? After a long silence, the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone. And the gavel fell. Cheers 
of happiness filled the room and someone said, now let's get on with it. But the auctioneer looked at the audience and announced that the auction was now over. Stunned in disbelief, the room quieted. And somebody shouted out, what do you mean the auction is over? We didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. We came here for priceless works of art. We demand that you explain to us what's going on. The auctioneer replied, It is very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the Son gets it all. Oh, hallelujah. Whoever takes the Son of God gets faith, hope, love, peace, joy, salvation, healing. Whoever takes the Son, go ahead, stand to your feet. It's He's worthy. If you receive Him by faith and you hold out in hope and you love one another, you'll get it all. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. Oh, blessed remain standing because we're going to close with a song here. But I want you to know that the same chapter from which we took our text says love is kind. Love is patient. Love does not envy. Love does not boast in its own accomplishments. Love considers one another and considers the other person before it considers their own self. Love is, is selfless. That's who Jesus is. And I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. You may not have a lot to give, but if you've got love, you've got something money cannot buy. If you've got the Son, you've got a lot to give. And so lead us, my brother, on this amazing, love so amazing, Jesus Messiah. Sing with us. He became sin.